Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I was um, thinking the other day what uh, was one of the most common words that we use. And um, one of them, I'm sure, is the word why. Okay? Have you thought how many times that you either think or actually speak the word why? Why do you think that? Why did you do that? Why didn't you do that? I don't know if you think about kids, but after mummy and daddy, probably the next word that they use is, why mummy? Why daddy? You know? Or sometimes I think you can use the word why when you actually know the answer. Do you know? And uh, the reason that you use that is because you probably don't agree (laughs) with the answer, or you think there's a different answer to that. But it's a really kind of word that, you know, we use all the time in different contexts. I was looking at uh, a newspaper last week, and um, there was a little girl on it, and basically the caption really was this, why can't I find a dentist? Okay, and uh, it's because really there's not enough and hadn't been to the dentist for, for a whole year. Just lots of times we use the word why. I, about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, did a, a coaching course to coach business leaders and uh, I um, embarked on it and they just taught us how to uh, take a... Uh, a, a leader in business who has got lots of questions and wants to kind of figure out what to do next, either in their own life or in their business, and help them to figure it out themselves. Okay, so and one of the things they drill into you is this never ask the why question. And uh, the reason they say that is because if you say why, it immediately puts someone on the defensive. Have you thought of that? That as soon as you say, why can't I do this? Or why did you do that? Immediately, you actually feel like you've been accused. Okay, so it's quite an accusational thing as well. And basically, they drill into you that if you you have your questions with a why in, immediately you close someone down, as opposed to open up. So teach you how to do better questions. (laughs) What made you do that? Or, you know, lots of different ways of doing it. But do you understand? It's quite an emotive term, the term why. And yet it's full of urgency, isn't it? It's full of kind of, it's what's in you. The question why. And I want to just look at that from one of the Psalms. And uh, in the early church, when there was a load of persecution happening and uh, two of the apostles had been put into prison for healing a man. And, uh, and then 
on the back of that, telling everybody it wasn't us that did it, but it was the risen Jesus who you crucified, (laughs) who you put to death. He's now alive, and he's around and doing miracles now. And this lame man is a result of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who's not dead anymore, but alive, is doing a mighty work amongst us. And the rulers hated it because they thought they'd crucified and got rid of him. They thought he was dead and buried. And so they locked these two apostles up. Next day, they interrogated them. But they were actually scared, the leaders, because the crowd around them had seen the healing. And they knew that if they actually did anything to these two guys, they would have a riot on their hands. And so they basically said, look, we are going to ban you from ever again preaching about Jesus Christ. There's a ban in Jerusalem that nobody can talk about Jesus Christ, but we'll let you go. And so the two apostles come out and they go and gather some people together. And they gather them together and they think about Psalm number two. They think about this psalm and they start reciting this psalm in the beginning of their prayers. And it says this in Acts, 20, Acts 4.25, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. They had just had the rulers against them. And not only were the rulers of Israel against them, but they knew months before Herod, Pilate, the Roman Empire was conspiring against the king of kings and the people who followed the king of kings. Why do the rulers, why, Lord, why are they doing this? And uh, I want to look at Psalm 2 because that's where this, uh, the, these uh, apostles uh, started praying from. And I want to see how it was in the context of when it was written, how the early church applied it, which we've just seen a little bit there, and then how we can apply, apply it. But uh, just imagine now that you are a young guy, maybe in your late teens, and you know the story of King David. In fact, he's your great-great-grandfather. You are in his lineage, and it's your turn to be the king. And you're the king of a little nation. You're in your late teens, and around you are the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, 
the Phoenicians, there are empires and nations that want to be empires and you are now the ruler of a little nation and you're there at your coronation, excited and probably scared, thinking, this is what I'm made for, but heck... (laughs) Look where we are, just a little nation surrounded by these great empires. And then the priest starts reading over you the psalm that's written by David for the king. And this is what he reads over him. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed. This was the anointed king. And he knows that's what's happening. People are plotting. He's a young guy. (laughs) This is the time to attack. This is the time to get them. Let's break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger, he rebukes them. Can you see this young prince now becoming a king? The God of heaven, his God. Yahweh, Israel's God, is enthroned and derision over the enemies. Then in anger, God rebukes them, terrifying them with his fiery fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. You can imagine this young man. I'm the anointed king. God has set me apart. Yahweh, my God. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord has said, you are my son today. I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. You will break them with iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant, but what joy for all who take refuge in him. These words would have been spoken over each king that came to the throne of Israel. And the power and the authority and the anointing that came from it would have built them up and they would have known that they were worshipping Israel's God. They were leading 
Israel, God's holy nation, a royal priesthood. And yet we know that these kings were still fallible. We know that some of these words, although were spoken about a son, and they would see themselves as that as the king, that actually there was a greater son. There was one that the New Testament talks about, that the apostles got understood, was the Lord's anointing, the Holy One of Israel, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And so Old Testament Psalms and prophecies always had a context where they were written, but so often had a context for the church and for the end times. And I want to look at now, how is that briefly for the church in the New Testament and for us now? You see, in Psalm 2 verse 3, it gives us the reason why the nations are angry. It says this, The kings of the earth prepare for battle, the rulers plot together, against the Lord and against his anointing one, because they say, let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Welsh preacher who preached for years there in London, said this, um, people feel that God is against them. He wants to rob them of happiness, joy, and peace. They see God's laws as slavery. You shall not. 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 The people of the world see you shall not as a God who is against them. Do we not see that now? Do we not see in our liberal society the words you shall not are kind of an anathema. It's kind of, let's break the yokes of slavery. That's what the kings are saying. Let us not have a king who says this. Because it goes right back to the beginning. The first people created had everything, including the God of the universe inhabiting life with them. Walking with them, dwelling with them, communion with them, loving them, talking with them. They're asking questions of God, how did you do it? <laughs> what a great time for the people of God to walk with the creator of the universe. And yet he just said one thing, don't, do not do this one thing. Do not do one thing. And it's something raged inside them. Something came up. We are going to do it. We're not going to live under, no. 
And so, the one thing they were asked not to do, <laughs> when they had everything, they did. Murder, strife, enmity, sin, death, destruction, wars, incest, abuse. Terrible, terrible things that we see all over the world. And we see in our own hearts, <laughs> anger, lust, all raised its head. Why do the nations, <laughs> why are the nations angry? The nations are angry because they don't want a king. <laughs> who is sovereign. They don't want a king who has ultimate authority. In the end, there's something that dwells up in us that says, no. Why, why, why? Apostle Paul summed it up like this. In Romans 1.24, they knew God. <laughs> they knew God absolutely intimately. They knew God. They couldn't have God, known God any more intimately in a way that we want to. You know, <laughs> They walked with him. When there's a new heaven and earth, we will do the same. <laughs> okay? We won't be looking through a mirror darkly. Do you know what I mean? We won't be living kind of in this faith realm. But they knew him intimately. They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. That was the issue. They wouldn't worship him as God, as sovereign, as king. And so they began to think up foolish ideas what God was like. <laughs> they began to think of foolish ideas what God was like, he's against us, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says. There's some of the foolish ideas. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise. How many people in this world claim to be wise? Instead, they became fools. And instead of worshipping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshipped idols made to look like people, birds, animals, and reptiles. <laughs> that's what happened. And that's why the nations are angry. Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan revivalist theologian, says this, we hate the idea of a king who has rights over us. <laughs> We hate the idea of a king that has rights over us. And that's so true. In the end, in the end, we want our rights. We want our rights. We think our rights are the most important thing. But actually, it's God's rights. He is the righteous one. So they set themselves up and plot against the Lord and his 
anointed one. And so in Acts 4, they carry on praying. It's great to pray biblical prayers. You realise this, that when they were, the chips were down, if I can use that, <laughs> that kind of metaphor, when, when things are really against you and you think, how do we pray? Get in hold of Bible, scriptural truths, and praying it back to God gives you a concrete foundation, a firm foundation. You're not making it up. <laughs> and so why are the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time in futile plans? It says this. The kings of the earth prepared for battle, the rulers of the earth against the Lord and his Messiah. And then it goes on to say this. In fact, this is what happened here in the city. So they're praying to God. This is what happened. Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Israel and your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything you did was determined beforehand according to your will. Everything that happened, you did according to your will. You see, once they started reading this psalm and contextualising it to their own situation and seeing that, hey, the Romans, the Jewish leaders, and the Jewish leaders, some of them hated each other. Some of them just disagreed fundamentally with each other. They definitely disagreed with the Romans, but they united together. They came together, kind of unholy alliance <laughs> against the Lord and against his anointed one. And yet, the Bible says here, they could not do it without God allowing it. That actually, in the end, in the end, it was that God actually allowed it to happen. See, God was in control at even the worst time. In fact, Pilate stood in front of Jesus and said to him, look, defend yourself, please defend yourself. We're going to call you the king of the Jews. I, I, and actually, he didn't want to crucify him. He spent minutes, hours, trying to find a way not to crucify him because he knew he didn't deserve it. He said, if you don't defend yourself, it's going to have to happen. You know, we will make it happen, he's saying. And Jesus said, you will not make anything happen unless God allows it. Only God is going to allow me to be crucified. I don't need to say anything. If this is the time, my paraphrase, this is the time, then God is in control. You see, can you see the apostles here? They're praying with the church with all this enmity, all this anger, all this plotting, all these laws that were going to hinder and stop them preaching. They were praying back to God. They can't do this. They can't do this because you are in charge, God. And they're looking at this psalm and praying this psalm back to God, knowing that God in the end is going to vindicate them. 
God is in control. <coughs> I find this so encouraging today when there's so many whys around, when there's so much evil around, when there's so much that is conspiring against the church and against Jesus. Laws and stuff that's going on to know that our God, our God is in control. And our God laughs, not the way like we laugh. It's kind of derisory, but it's almost like it shows the elevation of our God. The, the plots and rumours of plots and even what was happening to these apostles in Jerusalem. Actually, there's a God in heaven who is over all. And they may conspire and they may scheme. But in the end, God is God. The ultimate, ultimate saviour of the world. Only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with iron rods and smash them like clay pots. This, it's like when you've got confidence that God is in control, then your prayers can be audacious. It's not just a church that's called that. It's <laughs> Okay. Your prayers can be extravagant. Your prayers can be so much more bolder than you can ever think or imagine. Here's a young king. He's heard about the exploits of King David. He's heard about how David conquered many around him. He's heard how the nations expanded. And now he's been told, be bold. And the early disciples understood that although that was spoken over, probably a king in his coronation, they knew it meant more than that. They knew it was prophetic about the Lord Jesus Christ. That the Lord Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world. For Christ loved the world so much that he died. That he died. The whole world. See, the whole world is Christ's inheritance. His death on the cross when he says, it is finished. He took the whole world's sin. Every, every person's sin on the cross. Nobody excluded. For God so loved the world. From Mongolia to Latin America. From Australia to wherever. <laughs> who knows wherever you are in the centre of the world you see 
Ask the Lord, I will give you the nations. That was spoken about Jesus and we as the followers of Jesus, as part of Jesus' community, as part of the people of God, as part of the church of Jesus Christ, our prayers are, God, we pray for the nations now. We pray, God, would you bring revival? That's what I pray, more and more and more. Because it's only a move of God it's only a move of God that is actually going to make this happen. We're going to do our bit, and one of the things that we need to do is pray. God, there's nations in this city. It's a privilege to have most of a lot of the nations in our city. God, I pray. These are your inheritance. These are your inheritance. These are the people that you died for. God, give us the nations for your inheritance. Give Jesus the nations. Pray for revival. I was thinking about the different revivals over the generations, and one of them just came to my mind a few months ago, and it was in New York, and it was in September 23rd, 1857. And uh, a guy called Jeremiah Lamfer, I think that's how you pronounce his surname, started an hour noonday prayer meeting for business people in the city of New York. He sat there alone for the first 30 minutes of the first meeting. Then six men turned up. Two weeks later, 40 people came. Soon every public meeting place and church was filled for an hour noonday prayer meeting. The result is thought that over one million people became Christians. One million. I uh, was thinking about this the other day and I just felt, Sturge, why shouldn't that happen in Manchester? And I've asked one or two people, and I think in January, um, I'm saying this, I'm not, it's not total, but I think we'll do an hour prayer meeting in the city centre. And uh, we'll just open it out. Noon prayer meeting, for anybody who wants to come. Just feel stirred in my spirit. That, and it's a, such a simple thing, isn't it? You, and what he realised is, that you could only come for 20 minutes if you only can come for 20 minutes. That's what he said. But if you just want to gather in your dinner time, <laughs> we're going to pray. I'm stirred. I feel, God, we need you to do something in our city. Confidently knowing that God has given Jesus an inheritance, the nations of the world. The church of Jesus Christ is going to grow and is growing but we need to see it in Manchester, one of the most non-Christian places, actually, in this nation. Serve the Lord, verse 11, with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son. And we know who God's royal son is. It wasn't the young man <laughs> on the throne. 
although it was applied to him, it's to the saviour of the world. The one that God said, this is my son who I am so well pleased with. (laughs) This is my dear son who I am so well pleased with. Or he will become angry. We don't want an angry God. And you will be destroyed in the midst of your activity for his anger flares up in an instant. And so there's an urge to us. Let's submit. Do what the world doesn't want to do. (laughs) Allow him to be king, (laughs) sovereign, Lord. And then it says this, just to finish up, what joy for all who take refuge in him. What joy for all who take refuge. You see, what the early people lost when they took the thing that they shouldn't was joy and refuge. They had the God of the universe walking with them. Nobody could attack them. (laughs) Nobody could do anything to them. He was a refuge, a tower. And because they didn't want him to be Lord, they lost the refuge. And the joy of submitting to the king (laughs) is we actually get a refuge. Isn't that great? The very thing that the world longs for, which is peace in their hearts, in their minds. Some of you know I've had, you know, I have mental issues in terms of depression and stuff. You know, that's Quite typical around the world. There's a, there's a challenge, isn't there, in this world for peace, in our minds, in our bodies. But we know that when we submit to God, there's a refuge. We've got a refuge. His yoke is easy. <laughs> and a yoke can either look like thou shalt not... <laughs> Or a yoke can look like, wow, this is so much easier. (laughs) Thou shalt not the yoke. 